Hey, welcome back to the Happy Singer Podcast. My name is Christy Bissell, and I'm your host. This is the first time that you're here. I'm really glad that you found us. Uh, This is a positive environment for learners of the voice. This can be teachers, singers, performers, closeted singers, shower singers, car singers. (laughs) You all are welcome. We're all singers, and I think that I said singers way too much. I'm going to stop saying singers. (laughs) Anyway, I'm just really glad that you're here. Um, I am having a great morning. Um, I am laying on the couch with Tucker, my dog. So if you clicked on the podcast and you see the picture, that's me and my dog, Tucker. Um, So usually we record in my office, but I am so grateful and so happy. My sister and my niece, they are here for a visit. I'm going to take them into New York City, and uh, it's going to be really fun, but... um, they're sleeping in that room, and I don't want to wake them up so that I can record the intro and the outro of the episode. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm feeling very blessed and very happy today, even though the sound quality will not be as good as it usually is. I don't care. They're sleeping really well, and you can still hear me. So yay. Um, so before I play my chat with Kathleen, I just wanted to say a really quick thing. If you're practicing singing, I want you to take a moment to think, either in the moment or afterwards or right now, how much are you trying to control the situation? When you're in the room and let's say you're working on, you can't hit this high E that you usually can hit and you can usually do it pretty strongly, but today it's just not happening. And so you push and you push and you push and you keep trying it. You actually stop singing the phrase and you just keep trying to hit the note. I, that is not going to help you. We try to control the situation so much. And listen, I get it. You're paying for the lesson. You came to that lesson for a reason. You want to work on something. Dude, I get it. But if you stop in that moment and keep trying to push and try to control it so much, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You have to allow these things to occur. Now, breathe. Be kind to yourself. Know that whatever you believe in, it has your back and that you're here for a reason. And even if it is as simple as I'm trying to hit that E strongly, take a breath. Know it will come. It may not happen in this moment, okay? It's just not going to happen sometimes. So breathe, be kind to yourself. That's kind of what this podcast is all about, is finding ways to increase your level of joy in your practice. Because just with anything in life, it does. sometimes it does not feel great because we're putting so much pressure on ourselves to do right, to do good. And there's just, you know... Think about things on a bigger spectrum. Like, were you able to eat breakfast and lunch today? Some people don't get to do that. Are you healthy? Are you able to breathe normally? Some people aren't healthy. Some people have trouble breathing. You don't. Now, if you do, you probably have a greater appreciation now for what you have. But just remember that It's going to happen if you really believe it and you work on it and you be patient and you allow it to happen in its own time. Great things can happen. But that's just 
one one little bit of advice is something that I've been noticing, and I just wanted to say it's okay to not get it right immediately. It's okay. Anyway, so back to what our episode is about today. So Kathleen is so incredibly sweet and kind. She and I met at Shenandoah University, and that's where I got my master's in vocal ped, and um, she's getting her doctorate there. So she's in the process of getting it, and um, the work that she's doing is incredible. It's so intense to get a doctorate in voice pedagogy. It's um mind-blowing so she has to actually create research it's not just like going to classes and studying when you get um, your doctor you have to actually create new research something that's never been discovered yet and you do tests and all kinds of yeah it's it's an intense process and she's going through it right now and her topic she's specializing in acid reflux in singers and so many of us have this issue And I thought it would be just so amazing to have her on. And even though it's a topic that's very technical, um, she says it in a very clean way. And we also have this really wonderful conversation that I enjoyed so much. Um, She's such a nice person. I just really love her. So um, I hope you like the conversation. We talk about the acid reflux further on. Um, so if you're in a rush and you need to hear that information, you're going to probably want to go like past an hour. Um, but, um, I hope you listen to the whole thing cause it's just lovely. Um, but let me give you just a little bit more information on Kathleen. She's traveled all over the world. It's really cool. Um, so she's performed vo- voice recitals, um, for both classical and musical theater, um, in Denmark, Germany, Austria, Australia, and Italy. She's done all kinds of roles in operas. She has performed in choral experiences. She's performed with orchestras, symphonies. Kathleen has been teaching since 1991 privately and at high schools and collegiate levels. While maintaining a private studio in Winchester, Virginia, Kathleen is currently a voice instructor at the Shenandoah Conservatory Arts Academy, a visiting instructor in musical theater at the Barbara Ingram School for the Arts and an adjunct assistant professor of voice at Shenandoah University. So she holds a bachelor and master's degree in voice performance, and she's a certified teacher in levels one, two, and three of somatic voice work, the Levetri method, which so am I. It's amazing. It's a really great method. Um, Jeanette Levetri is so smart, and it's, it's a great, if you're looking for a new certification teachers, it's just lovely. Um, and a National Center for Voice and Speech certified vocologist. She, she's done so many cool things. Um, she's currently a doctoral candidate, like I was saying, in voice pedagogy at Shenandoah University, specializations in vocal health and contemporary commercial music styles. So her research interests, they span from voice habilitation, collaboration with various body modalities to the effects of acid reflux on the voice. She has been a faculty and workshop presenter of Virginia Nats, the Pan American Vocology Association conferences in Toronto and Seattle, and Mary Baldwin University and the International Symposium of the Voice Foundation in Philadelphia. So her latest reach focus has been in the Peter Pabone, and I hope I'm saying that right, utilizing the voice profiler to map a singer's pitch and dynamic range. This technology is a way to aid in diagnosing vocal faults and changes within the studio or voice lab. Really cool. Um, 
And then Kathleen currently serves as vice president of the Virginia chapter of National Association of Singing and the chair of the communications committee for the Pan American Vocology Association, PAVA. Her former students are currently singing in national musical tours on Broadway and in A-level opera houses, as well as teaching in secondary and collegiate settings. So she's a really, really not only sweet person, but very cool person. She's really smart and she says everything so clearly and like I was saying she was the teacher of Cassie who um, Cassandra Claude who was on our podcast um, two weeks ago so yeah I just love how this podcast is helping me to rekindle friendships or meet new people I think it's just so sweet and I don't know if I would have that if I hadn't started this podcast so I feel very blessed, honored, and um, yeah, life life is good right now. Anyway, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. Without any further ado, here's Kathleen. This year, I don't know what the vibe was. It was a lot of really positive energy and a spirit of collaboration. And, and um, a lot of people were talking about how we need to look at each voice individually because you know scientists tend to want to generalize all the time and have huge data sets and you know make like a generalization for the population but they're like no actually we need to look at each individual singer so it's like pretty cool that is awesome because that's that's what it is you know (laughs) yeah yeah that's, that's awesome so uh, how long were you there at the Voice Foundation? So we got there um, Wednesday uh, about noon, and then okay. it went until Sunday at 5 o'clock. Okay. Okay, wow. That's so crazy. I keep yeah. wanting to, like, at least be present to, like, listen to people, but I just haven't, you know, baby steps towards getting into all the world of it. But um, Well, you know, I think for for this the first time um, – what I did is I went ahead and volunteered. Okay, and that's smart. So when you volunteer, then not only do you not have to pay, <laughs> which is nice. Right. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But two is it kind of gives you a natural way to meet people because uh, you're standing there saying, can I help you? Or do you need to know um, where your talk is or whatever? So it just, and then it kind of introduces you into the world and you kind of have like have a job to do. So you don't feel so awkward just standing around saying, Oh my God, that's like the God of voice science. I can't talk to him, you know? Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. So I guess just start, you know, about what you love the most about teaching and, and why you do what you do. Ah, okay. Well, you know, um, it's kind of funny because, uh, I, I majored in voice performance. And my mother always used to say that before I could talk, I was singing. So I was always kind of sing talking as a baby. So she knew that it was kind of musical. And, um, but I was really shy, like really, really shy. So, uh, we, I started taking voice lessons for real, uh, in eighth grade. And I remember my voice teacher, this amazing, amazing teacher called Priscilla Duff. And um, at the time, you know, I thought she was like so old, but in retrospect, she was 28. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that funny? (laughs) 
I used to do that too when I was a kid. I was like, they're so old. I know. And it was so, but you know, she was married and she had kids. So I was like, oh, she's got to be 40 at least, you know, (laughs) which is like ancient, you know. now we know. <laughs> but so she was this great teacher and I was 12 and I was about to turn 13 and she normally didn't take um, students my age. But, you know, I think because I was so shy when I finally sang, I just belted out like really loud. <laughs> so that's cool. So it was kind of like a release. So she's like, you have a good voice, but I'm afraid that you're going to hurt yourself, you know? Yeah. And, and so she taught me, like her goal was to teach me how to sing no matter what was going on. You know, if I had a cold, if I had allergies, if I had whatever, I'd always be able to sing. And I totally know that was her intention, but I don't know, maybe because I was so young, I didn't necessarily get everything that she did. Uh, you know, the typical situation where in the lesson you sound like great and then you leave and you're like, I don't know if I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. that feeling. And um, I did not know, but I probably had acid reflux uh, that was like spilling into my larynx probably my whole life. Yep. And so there were, you know, weird things that would happen with my voice and I would have to like push. And that was probably why I was singing loudly too. I was just trying to get through swelling. Sound out. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to, um, I went to university and, you know, again, a lovely teacher had some really, you know, good experiences, but then periodically, um, my voice would get so tired mm-hmm. and, um, and it was like, I would be, since I didn't talk a lot outside of singing, it was like, I was either on vocal rest or singing. I was never. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hard to know, you know, if I had been a normal person that talked a lot, you know, that if I would have had symptoms sooner, but I still was starting, you know, like, I don't really get my voice and And um, I finally went to the ENT after I had the lead in the opera. And I just, I was exhausted and I didn't feel, I felt like something was wrong and I had a jury coming up and I was really hoping he'd say, okay, you can't sing your jury. (laughs) (laughs) But alas, he did not say that. But he told me that it's like my vocal folds were fine, but that I had signs of uh, laryngopharyngeal reflux. And I'm like what is that? And he's like, do you sometimes feel burning in your throat? I'm like, yeah, every day. (laughs) So I actually was experiencing symptoms. Some people don't feel anything and yet still have voice symptoms, but I probably had a mixture of both gastroesophageal um, reflux and laryngopharyngeal reflux. And so, uh, so he gave me like a diet, you know, which is like, no, no fatty foods, no fried foods, uh, no mint, no chocolate. I'm like, oh my God, everything that I love. Yeah. Everything (laughs) that you love. That's exactly it. Okay. And you know, no smoking. Okay. That's easy. No (laughs) alcohol. That was easy too. It was like, yeah, but I don't really drink. So that's okay. You know, but, but the diet was kind of hard for me. Um, because you know, I'm a foodie. It's really I like hard. To, yeah. And it depends what your trigger is. Some people it's milk, even. Some people it's uh, gluten. 
can trigger reflux. Some people have non-acid reflux and it's more stress-related. Um, and then also, I used to chew a lot of gum, but mint and the mint gum can slow down the motility of your sphincters, and so you get reflux. Interesting. So, so I didn't know that about the gum. That yeah, which is really strange because otherwise gum is good because we have natural bicarbonate in our saliva. So stimulating by the chewing is a good thing. But if then you have mint, yeah. <laughs> that can be a bad thing. So it's like finding the right kind of gum. There used to be like a high uh, bicarbonate gum. I'm told it tasted kind of gross, but mm. um, but yeah. Okay. So, so I, I was diagnosed and then, okay, the reflux symptoms went away. I took some, you know, uh, they're called proton pump inhibitors and yep. that helped resolve that. He told me to get a steamer and the steamer was a natural way to bring down the swelling that I had, which was slight. It wasn't bad. I didn't have nodules or anything, no hemorrhage. Thank God. Yeah. Um, no paresis, right. all these other things that can happen in conjunction with reflux. I thankfully did not have that. Yeah, um, I sort of did. I had a lot of inflammation and then the, the beginnings of, of nodules, just a little bit. And it was quite scary. It was quite yeah. scary. Yeah, it is. And especially, you know, this is the 90s. And back in the 90s, it, the, the thinking, the general consensus was if you got nodules, then that was it. Right. Your voice would never be the same you'd always be kind of damaged, you know, you'd always have to be careful. And that's so not the case now. like, you know, coming back from the voice foundation, uh, you know, a little bump, that's the least of our worries. You know? yeah, yeah. Focal hemorrhage, that's different. That's a big deal. Yeah. But, um, so anyway, uh, so then I continued on with my masters and then I would have times that'd be good. And, you know, I don't want to say anything about, that about my voice teachers, but maybe it was me not getting what they were trying to do, or maybe just since they hadn't worked with someone that had reflux, you know, mm -hmm. and the voice symptoms related to that, um, they were going for a particular sound rather than um, a function. Got you it. Know? Mm -hmm. And so that can be really damaging because, you know, I was a lighter soprano and I'm in an operatic program where the aesthetic of where I was, was yeah. for these big, full, you know, dramatic voices. And that, especially with reflux, that was not me. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, gra I graduated with my bachelor's and I started a master's and, and, um, I started teaching and from the first lesson, I realized I really like helping other people with their voice. Mm -hmm. And I learned so much more about my own voice by working with different people. And it was, I got the bug, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I liked performing, but I think because I'm naturally an introvert, um, it was like the, the stress of having, you know, to find the right dress, to have all the hair and the makeup done. And then you gotta, you know, you gotta do all this other stuff that isn't just the music. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do that all the time and have that be my, the source of my income too. Cause 
even though I always joke, I don't understand why I'm not independently wealthy. (laughs) 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 You know, because like, so it's like, I just want to sing and teach people that to sing better, you know? And so I started doing that. And, uh, I first started, uh, working for like a, a small private studio. And then I got this great, um, teaching job with Carol Krieger. She was teaching in, in Fort Lauderdale and she's like the guru of sight reading. And yeah, she's amazing. And she had this huge program in Fort Lauderdale and she just was bringing up some voice teachers to work with them. And I think we charged like, you know, 15 or $20 a half hour. And we would take them out of their choir class and work with individual students. I had like also like a group class. It was hilarious because there were all these huge, big football players and me. (laughs) Oh my word. You know, and I was in my early twenties and I looked like I was 12. (laughs) Every time I walked outside, they were asking me for a hall pass. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm a teacher. That's happened to me once. Yeah. I was teaching the public school system and they kept asking me for my hall pass. I was like, this isn't going to (laughs) work. It was really funny because because I'm short, I looked younger than everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I was working with her and I did that for a couple of years. But then, you know, the drive was getting to be a little bit much. And then um, she ended up going to University of Miami for her doctorate. So she left the school mm-hmm. and I was like, OK, that's a sign. It's time for me to just work in Miami. And um And But through her, I met this wonderful chorus teacher called, um, his name was John Rose. Okay. And he had been, like, huge in um, the Florida Music Educators Association, I think. Mm. And he had this thriving program in South Florida and then started one of the first magnet schools there. And that's where I met Cassie. Yay! Yeah. So um, at first she wasn't my voice student, but like her very close friends were. And then I would come to the school and teach after school lessons. And then he's like, I really want to get you on board here. So for two years, I was kind of like an adjunct instructor there. And uh, that was in her, her class. I taught them voice pedagogy as seniors. And so the first half of the year was IPA and their diction. And the second half was voice pedagogy plus their final like senior showcase kind of thing. Got it. And for anybody that's listening that doesn't know what IPA is, do you want to, do you just want to briefly say what it is? Oh yeah. So IPA, which actually I hadn't learned in school. I had to teach myself. It's the (laughs) international phonetic alphabet. And what it is, is like every letter in the alphabet, like A, E, I, O, U, you know, B, C, like it is, it gives, kind of gives you like a code to then be able to decipher any other language based on the alphabet. And then there's some other funky symbols for um, other languages that have different kinds of vowels or different kind of consonant sounds. But for the basic, you know, Latin-based or Germanic-based languages. It's really cool. So you, you learn that these symbols, and then you can teach yourself how to pronounce pretty much any language if you have the symbols. 
which is really helpful. So you don't have to yeah. learn them all. <laughs> no, it's really wonderful. So you get, so I taught them that and it was so funny because, um, you know, they're teenagers and they're like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> it was like a million worksheets. And then almost all of them like told me that ended up, you know, going into music. They're like, wow, I had to take this class in college and thank God you helped us do this. Cause yeah. I was, was so much easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, that's great. You were in college. For yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Cassie's class was like pretty amazing. It was one of the, it was the first class to fully graduate from that high school. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's always a special class, you know, right. I did yeah. all four years there and they were this phenomenal group of people. And, um, we just learned together. I also taught music history to the sophomores and then I had the elective choir mm. And then they let me teach private voice lessons after school. And it's like these kids never wanted to go home. I was like at the school until like eight o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, in the evening. And um, it was so funny because even if they didn't have a lesson, they would just hang out. So I'd be like, okay, okay, guys. Like one was a really good pianist. I'm like, you need to take, his name is Eric Firestone. And He's now teaching like a fabulous program in Miami too. I'm like, I was okay, say, I know that name. Yeah, he's really a fantastic um, choir director, and his wife um, Angie needs a beautiful singer and voice teacher, and um, they they're like carrying on the legacy of of John Rose, and and I like to think oh, myself yeah. too, and yeah, um, yeah it's kind of cool because. Uh, he would just come into the class and then I'm like, okay, go play for these people. Oh. <laughs> if you're going to be here driving me crazy, go practice your quartet or like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I mean, it was, he was really, he was really smart too. Cause he played for like tons of my students. So he got to sit on all the lessons and I'd give him free lessons in exchange for playing for the other ones, hmm. you know? And Cassie um, was one of them. And, we just really hit it off. And then when she ended up, it was weird. When I moved to teaching at the local um, junior college, she did the first part of her gen eds over there too. Huh. So that's she, so interesting. The life, it just kept leading you guys in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so then she was my student there and then she went to um, FIU, which actually is where I finished. That's the Florida International University. And after 12 years, I went back to finish my master's mm. and there was this amazing voice teacher, Kathleen Wilson. Okay. And yeah, she's incredible. She a true voice scientist. And I had been teaching for a long time, but she, she took me under her wing and for my voice, first voice lesson, it was pretty phenomenal because she said to me, you know, you make a really good sound completely the wrong way. <laughs> Interesting. And what were you doing that was wrong? So it turns wow. out, in retrospect, I had muscle tension dysphonia. Uh, so just a really quick thing. Muscle tension dysphonia, if you don't know what it is, it's just... 
it's a change in the sound or even the feel of your voice due to um, too much muscle tension. And it's all around your voice box, a.k.a. your larynx. So it's a pattern that you constantly are using it wrong. Um, and it can develop sometimes during laryngitis. Um, and it may even remain even after swelling of the vocal cords are gone. And that's what she's talking about. So... But it wouldn't show up until a half hour after I started singing. So I knew I was doing something wrong. I was, because of the edema and voice symptoms that I really believe are related to years of reflux, Mm -hmm. I had developed a way to get through everything, you know, developed a way to still make sound and to make evidently a pretty good sound, you know, that I was getting paid for. Yeah, yeah. But I knew I was doing something wrong because after about a half hour, 45 minutes, um, my registration would shift. So I was like having to use more and more chest dominant, uh, just to make sound. Mm-hmm. And were you just singing classical still? or were you Yeah, doing- I was doing everything. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah, I was doing classical musical theater singing in a restaurant. Um, oh, that's awesome. Uh I was singing for church. I was directing the choir. So I was like, you know, they always tell you choir directors don't sing with your choir. When you have a church choir, you sing with the choir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we, so I was like teaching all day and singing and doing kinds of stuff. And I was, you know, I was getting tired and I was getting through everything, but I was using a lot more muscular um, action than I needed to. And, and so I started working with Kathleen and she's the first one that introduced me to straw phonation. Amazing. She introduced me um, to what I now know is uh, Joseph Stemple's vocal function exercises, mm-hmm. which um, I think Cassie mentioned it, mentioned it is the, the kazoo, the <laughs> sound, yep. you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And so, um, that transformed everything. That's so great. And it was pretty amazing, you know, and, and that was exciting. And every time I worked with a voice teacher, then I would bring it to my students, you know, Mm -hmm. and I always told them, I'm like, I'm stealing all of this and teaching my students. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and I would quote them. I'm in the lesson. I'm like, so Cassie, this is from Kathleen Wilson. <laughs> I would say, and now this is from Tom Burke. And now this is from. <laughs> yep. I do it too. <laughs> I'm like, I'm good. And it's going to help them. Yes, exactly. I'm going to say, I didn't create this exercise. However, <laughs> yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to use it, you know? And so it was pretty phenomenal. And so, uh, I also told Cassie to go work with her too. That's um, great. Yeah. So it's like keeping it all in the family. That's and, good. Uh, yeah. And it's funny because uh, when you've been teaching a long time and then your, your students become teachers, <laughs> uh, it's, it's really cool because they go from being kind of like your children <laughs> to being your colleagues and your peers. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And, and that's very interesting. Yeah, it's really lovely. And then then you go to like a conference 
and you see these fabulous uh, voice scientists, voice teachers, and um, speech language pathologists that are just doing great work with singers. And then you realize that, oh my God, one of my students is one of them. <laughs> wow. It just keeps on moving. Yeah. It's so really, your work. It, it goes further than, than even just the people that you think you're helping. It just goes way further. Yeah. There's a huge ripple effect, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And it's funny because Kathleen used to say that my students were her grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> and I totally get it. And I feel like saying, now you have great grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> And great, great grandchildren, you know, and, um, so it's, it's, I guess you, you had asked me originally, like why I'm passionate about all of this. And I think it's because, I mean, I love singing and I love singers. I love the voice. I feel like, uh, the voice is more unique than the, your voice, than your fingerprint, you know, and it can tell you so much about who the person is, what they're going through both physically, mentally, um, spiritually. And, um, it's just like fascinating. Like I get to work with voices all day, you know, it's pretty phenomenal. And, but because I had problems with my own voice and then I would see these problems happen with my students too. Uh, I thought, you know, I really, I want to research this more, you know, I want to help more people. And so that's why like constantly going to conferences, my friend Becca calls me a conference junkie. (laughs) That's a great problem to have. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, but you know, then cool things happen at the conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last year at the Pan American Vocology Association conference, which was in conjunction with the voice and speech theater conference. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in Seattle, Washington, which I had never been to. So you get to go to a cool place, yeah. hang out with your voice geeky friends. And then I had found on Facebook, my first voice teacher, Priscilla Duff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I messaged her two years ago because she, she never checks Facebook and she sent me a message and was like, Oh my God, (laughs) I can't believe you found me. And like, and she's like, I'm never on Facebook, but I'm going to be on Facebook so I can answer your question. So she told me about what they've been doing. They had been on tour with various, um, uh, Broadway tours for years, like 30 years. Her husband's this fabulous, um, music director. He did wicked. He did mama Mia. He did 42nd street and now he was with um, Phantom of the Opera. That's so, cool. Yeah. And I mean, he was my piano teacher. So yeah. it's like crazy. Yeah. I said, wow, that's amazing. And so we just connected. And then I, I just looked up. I'm like, I wonder where Phantom's going to be this year. Well, it turns out when I was in Seattle at a conference, they were doing Phantom in Seattle. What? Yeah. That's so, so cool. So my partner, Claude, who's a sweetheart, Mm. he got us tickets to go see the show. And I sent her a message and I said, we're going to be in Seattle because I'm at this voice conference, which you would love. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to see, you know, Phantom on such a day. Is it possible? Could we meet you like either before or afterwards? Mm. And, 
Adroy did. So I saw my voice teacher that I hadn't seen in over 30 years. I was just about to ask how long. <laughs> wow, 30 years. It was amazing. And then her husband came and joined us. And I'm like, oh my gosh, for 30 years, he's been directing shows. She's been directing music directing and directing shows all over the country, all over the world, you know? Wow. And I, and I got to tell her that, you know, because of you, I'm now a voice teacher, you know? (laughs) And as we were talking about voice and she's done it all, like she taught me classically because that seemed to be what my voice wanted to do when I was younger. But you know, I was telling her how I did all this cross training and now singing multiple styles. And that's what she does, you yeah. know? And she's like, wow. You know, so she laid the foundation for that kind of thinking. Yep. You know, I was probably too young to really understand where she was coming from. But now in retrospect, I'm like, oh my God, no wonder I never had, you know, like no wonder I got into college. <laughs> you know? But yeah, she must have been really impressed that you were doing the, the cross training and that you were doing yeah. even more than she had, you know, thought for you. So that's, yeah, that's really cool. It was really cool. And I, I still, I keep hoping that I can bring her to Shenandoah, you know, and her husband, you know, kind of like to do something because yeah. to give them a perspective of someone who's worked in the business for 30 years, you know, yeah. you know, and it's like, he did do one Broadway run. And he said it, it was like, I forget what show it was, but it only lasted like oh, two okay. weeks on Broadway. And he said, that was cool, but actually I really enjoyed you know touring. Why? That's great. Some people, they, they prefer that. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, it can be hard to always be on the road, but also you get yeah. to see the world. And um, it's like, there's so many more touring companies than there are Broadway shows. So it's like, there's a whole huge world of opportunities for performance. And I think, I think Matt said this too, that if you're only thinking Broadway, it you know, is it's so limiting. So and I think, you know, I think it's just the <laughs> ego with people thinking they want to get to the yeah. top because then they will be the best. They will have worked hard enough. And yeah, you know, it's our, mm-hmm. it's our jobs to just kind of keep telling them there's all this and this. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. like, yeah, and they've just had, and she, she was telling me, she's like, we've had a fantastic life. We're getting close to, you know, now they're only 60. So that's when I realized that she was young. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, See, oh my God. that scares me now because my voice teacher, my first voice teacher, I have a picture of her right here in front of, and um, very similar thing. I met up with her after, I think it was 15 18 years maybe and um we got a picture together but she is definitely old uh. <laughs> and I I need to write her a letter I I need to do it before yeah it's too late well you know that's very true you know just keep saying thanks exactly <laughs> you know and, and actually even if they live another 20 years it's okay they really like to hear yeah. thanks every <laughs> It's yes. nice. I know I do. I do too. <laughs> you know, like, um, like when, when a student will message and say, you know, thank you so much for working with me because now oh. I'm doing blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. That makes my day. That's wonderful. It really is because, you know, when you're in the day in, day out and you're working with, with students and it's fun, but sometimes it's like exhausting too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and then you wonder... 
you know, I'm not singing it. I think it enhances life, but it's absolutely. And in, in some ways I think it's essential, but it's not life or death. <laughs> right. Right. Not life or death. No, I'm like, I'm not a heart surgeon and are doing a transplant, you know? <laughs> Right. It's got to have the fun in there. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I mean, we want to help people so badly. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I know I'm guilty of definitely putting like literally so much effort into it that when I come home, I'll sit on my couch and I can't do one thing because my brain is fried, Mm -hmm. you know? So that I'm learning in my young (laughs) years of teaching, I'm still figuring out, okay, wait for it relax into it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that urge to want to help so badly. Oh yeah. And then it's also feast or famine, you know, um, during the summer, it's like a slow time for me. I have less students, but during Mm -hmm. the school year, I'm losing my mind with so many students. Right. 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 You know, we have seasons here too, like that. Yeah. But you don't want to say no because, um, you know, even though I'm not even though I think I'm independently wealthy, I am not. I do need to pay bills. <laughs> yeah, no. Those uh, things. Terrible. It is terrible. And they come. I just want them to be paid on their I own. I know. And they come every month. What is that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm still confused. I know. Can we just pay <laughs> once and that be done with it? That would be fine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yep, I'm the same way. <laughs> So, so keep talking to us about, so how did you find Shenandoah? Oh, is it from a convention? No. Okay. So this is funny. Um, I lived in Miami one month shy of 25 years. And okay. so, so when I, I had pretty much exhausted every teaching possibility that I could without a doctorate in Miami. Mm. Um, I had adjunct at a university. I had adjunct at um, first that one arts high school called Coral Reef. And then I was at New World School of the Arts, fabulous school too. Um, mm-hmm. I had worked at the local junior college. I had taught at a small Christian school, you know, everything. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I, um, I finally finished my master's. It actually was almost 20 years. <laughs> Man, bless it. You know, and it was wonderful. What was your official master's uh, degree? What was it So it had started out as voice pedagogy, which then that program dissolved, and it ended up being voice performance. But because it took forever, I did five recitals, and my last recital was a lecture recital, actually, of this fabulous composer called Joaquin Nien, and I I did... uh, I did this uh, selection of 10 Viancicos, which is a Spanish Christmas carols, and they were from different regions in Spain. Uh, and um, cool. I don't know if you knew this about me, but my mom's from South America, Uruguay. I think I think I did because you did a presentation in one of my classes. Oh, yeah. And I feel like I remember you mentioning that. Yeah, so like Spanish art music is very close to my heart. That's so cool. And it's so gorgeous. Oh, oh my gosh. So beautiful. And this is a wonderful, he was actually Cuban born, but he spent most of his life um, in Spain and then in Paris. And um, he was part of the Spanish nationalist movement. And he was kind of trying to use the the Christmas carols as a way to get like a universal Spanish sound because they had mm. been kind of separate, but it was so beautiful. So I, uh, 
I kind of said it was a, a musical tour of Spain. So I sang in Gallego, I sang in Basque, I sang, which is Euskera, I sang in Catalan. Um, mm. It was, it was so nice. But anyway, so I did that. Sounds nice. They're beautiful, beautiful pieces. Originally written for mezzo, but my voice teacher was like, you just sing it with your voice. You want to sing these pieces? Don't sing as if you were a mezzo. Sing with Kathleen's voice. And so I did that. (laughs) That is an interesting... Okay, so a lot of the listeners are contemporary singers, so a lot of, like, you know, pop, rock, and musical theater. Sure. So when you say mezzo, the difference between, let's say, a coloratura, what... What is different about that? So in general, it's it's not just the voice range. Um, a mezzo-soprano, the idea is that the bulk of your dynamic cap- capabilities is in the middle of your voice. So mm-hmm. like from um, middle C to the C above that, that's where you have a tremendous amount of uh, dynamic and acoustic energy. You also can usually sing way below middle C. And then when you go up high, it's really full and velvety and kind of a thicker sound than mm-hmm. a coloratura, which is going to be lighter, um, less harmonics, or mostly um, upper harmonics uh, in their sounds, like around, you know, tons of energy in the 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 hertz area. So if you're wondering what frequency means, it's just the number of vibrations per second. Fundamental frequency, it's the lowest frequency in a complex sound wave. But just know that those high numbers, that means that it's a big sound. So, yeah, it's a good thing. And that's towards the singer's form and stuff, which eventually we can talk about. It's really fascinating and also confusing. But, yeah, we can we can uh, talk about that sometime. But anyway, enjoy. Um, yeah. As opposed to mezzos who have, like, a broader spectrum. And yep. Oh, there's Tucker. Yay. Hold on. <laughs> Every time somebody walks by, oh, sometimes yeah. he has to say hi. Oh, there yeah. There he is. Yep, boisterous. Yes, my dogs are that way, too. That's why I'm down in the basement <laughs> without them. I wish I had one of those. <laughs> well, that is the nice thing about Winchester, cost of living. <laughs> oh, I miss it so much. Anyway, so let's go back to he stopped. So finally. So, um, so... You know, mezzo-soprano, it's a bigger voice, uh, thicker sound. And so if you're a soprano and you try to sound like a mezzo, you put a lot of subglottic pressure because I can impersonate one. I can make my sound like, you know, but that's not yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so if you sing that way, then you're going to cause a lot of maladapted behaviors. You're probably going to get a little wobble, you know, you're going to go out of tune. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so she's like, you love these pieces, sing them with your natural voice, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what you did. And that's what I did. And they were, it turned out beautiful, you know? And the, my pianist is a wonderful Russian pianist and she was very sensitive to my sound. So um, she did not play as heavy the pieces. We still That's great. We still kept the style and the flavor of the Spanish music, but just dialed it down a little bit to suit more my acoustic spectrum, you know? 
And that's great. And you can do that more so with art songs. Yes. It's hard. Yeah. It's harder in opera because you have a full orchestra and they're not going to change the orchestration just because you have a light voice. Okay. So I did that. And then I was finished with my master's. Congrats. I had, (laughs) it was like exciting, you know, 20 year masters. And then, uh, and I was teaching at new world school of the arts and I had, Um, this wonderful group of students, but I had these three senior boys that I called them my sons and (laughs) fabulous, fabulous singers. And one of them wanted to sing classical, but the other one, uh, Jalen, amazing uh, African-American student that just was a fabulous jazz singer. And I kept on having more and more students that really, they wanted to be either singer-songwriters, jazz vocalists, um, and other things. And I was like, you know, I can keep them healthy. I'm learning really good things from function. Uh, I can, you know, but I don't really know the style. And I'm not sure if I'm doing, if I'm serving them the best way that I could. So... And I had just finished my master's and I thought, you know, I just want a workshop or something. Yeah. I just I want to find something that I could do. And, you know, Miami is, is a very unique place and people are like, oh, it's so beautiful. I'm like, yeah, it is. But it feels really isolating because you're at the, the tip of the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> it is closer to go to Havana, Cuba than it is to go to Orlando. Oh, my you know? gosh. <laughs> what a great problem. It, yeah. I mean... If you want to go to South America, that's the gateway. But if you want to do something like in New York, it's like forever Mm -hmm. (laughs) to get there, you know. And so I was just looking and I came across the CCM Institute. I'm like, oh, what is this? And I started looking at it and I was like, ooh, 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 ooh. Because we had a musical theater workshop at Florida International one summer and I liked it and I got the bug and I was like, ooh, this is to teach teachers how to teach. Ooh, this looks cool. And I'm like, well, let me look into, uh, where is this? Oh, Shenandoah. I think I had a student that went to Shenandoah. Yep. <laughs> and it was actually um, a girl that graduated with um, Cassie. Oh, cool. And Rachel. And so I was like, yeah, I want to check out this. And then I looked at the school and they had a doctorate in voice pedagogy. And I was like, oh, a doctorate in voice pedagogy. Hmm. And then I looked at the courses. And, and Yeah, what are all the courses? Do tell. Okay. It's, it, there are actually real courses. <laughs> because a lot of doctorates in pedagogy focus on voice literature and is classically based. And I was like, if I take one more art song literature or opera literature class, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that. It can that really go not, on and on and on. I'm, it's like, I'm that does cool. not help me. <laughs> that does not help me teach people how to sing jazz. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, or how to, like, you know, I just like, I want something real. So the course, these were the courses, um, especially especially the ones that I got excited with. There was the usual music theory and there were a couple of music history classes. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, but there was technology of the voice studio, 
where you learn different programs that you can use to both analyze the voice and utilize in your school, your studio, including microphone techniques. I was like, oh, I need that. Mm -hmm. And then there was a business of the studio. So learning how to run a business. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I like that. Then there was a whole lot of, then an internship that you could do at a, um, at an ENT office. I'm like, Ooh, oh, that's, okay, that's interesting. That's really cool. So I pulled it up actually. I'm looking at the, mm-hmm. all the courses and all that stuff. So yeah. This is yeah. Cool. And yes. And then there was, um, uh, a survey of voice disorders and I was like, this is what I need. Yeah. Yes. You know, oh, and plus the CCM Institute, multiple styles. You had to also take a class with um, Edry Means Weekly, who's this incredible voice teacher, um, can sing in any style from opera to bluegrass, yep. you know, and so she's you take that class. <laughs> oh, she's so fun, you know, um, and then voice anatomy um, taught by Dr. Meyer now and I mean, he takes people in the cadaver lab, yep. which I didn't particularly enjoy, but I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. not, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if enjoy is the right word I would say for it, but <laughs> yeah. respect, appreciation, yes. and the knowledge that we gained from it. Amazing. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Incredible. Not enjoy. And like, <laughs> yeah. And he has these excise larynxes. And it was interesting because for me, the excise larynx, I was like, ooh, interesting. Let me go look at that. Yes, I can do that. Yeah. I can touch that. No problem. But then when it was the body, I was like, ooh, no. <laughs> yeah, the hands. Yeah. Even though we weren't looking at the hands, the hands bothered me. I was, I just had to keep looking at like the exact thing we were talking about. Like we were looking at the okay. abdominal wall and I was like, okay. Yes. Just yeah. those muscles. Just a heads up for anybody that gets a little grossed out by um, well, what we're talking about. We're talking about the cadaver lab, um, how we both have been in one at Shenandoah University. And um, this is just a, a funny story. But if you get a little queasy or anything, you could just skip past for like a minute or two. All right, bye. Well, and you know, um, I got to tell you this story and you might edit it out, but because it's, it's kind of gross. But... I just have to tell you this story. So I, at the time, my mom was living and mm-hmm. and she was living with me. And uh, I, we went to the cadaver lab and we're looking at, you know, the body. And then he's showing us the lungs and the rib cage. Yeah. And, you know, that was very interesting. And I, you know, I was like, you know, one of those that was standing like at least 10 feet away going, oh, look, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I was not getting that close. <laughs> Then I go home, and my mom very sweetly had cooked a turkey breast. Oh, no. Oi. <laughs> oh, no. Yep. Yep. You can't and do that after that. Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. I looked at that turkey breast, and my thought was, oh, that looks just like the lady's slung yep. ribcage. Oh, that's it. <laughs> It's a for sure no-go. That's how I was whenever. I almost became vegetarian right then and there. (laughs) Yeah. You know what was weird? It wasn't the cadaver lab that bothered me as much as when Matt Edwards said that the intercostal muscles, he's like, you know, whenever you go into, um, you know, Fridays and you get ribs, he was like, that's exactly what you're eating is the intercostal ribs. And I was like. Also, oopsie daisy, I said intercostal ribs. What I meant was intercostal muscles. Okay, again, bye. 
I'm done. I love yes. ribs. I'm done. Yes. I've not ordered ribs since. <laughs> I know. It's like so traumatizing. <laughs> you know? And it's like, wow, we look the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's so interesting though, and the way the body works. I mean, it does give us a greater appreciation yeah. for everything. Cause I think what well, we do simplify for the students because yeah. we need to, because we don't want to over, we don't want to overdo it with them because we want them to remember the artistic point of why we're singing. Uh, right. But yeah, you know, we have to be thinking about all the layers of everything. Yeah. So. And I love voice anatomy. I, yeah. I think it's fascinating and my my mother was a registered nurse, so we were always talking about body parts and things like that. Yeah. And so I I like to know how things work. And I've had quite a few students that love it. Yeah. You know, they want to see the pictures. They want to see the vocal folds vibrating. Same. And, you know, and so, you know, there's like all these really cool courses. So anyway, I looked at the coursework and I thought, I think I want to do my doctorate. That's and so cool. And so I asked my mentor, Kathleen Wilson, I'm like, because I knew she had lived in the D.C. area. And I said, do you know anything about Shenandoah University? And she said, that's the best kept secret in the mid-Atlantic region. She's like, that is a phenomenal school. The singers sing beautifully. The teachers are top notch and nobody realizes it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And I was like, "Okay, if she says that they're good. They're good. Yeah. That's so cool. So I sent a message, uh, an email to Catherine Green, and she said, well, you know, it's a residential program. You'd have to leave Miami. And I'm like, oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) I understand. I'm ready. My three senior boys um, were going to graduate. So they graduated, and then I moved within a month later to Virginia. Oh. You know? And what was the mood like for you? Did you take uh, to it well? You know, it was really interesting because coming from a very multicultural city where, um, I mean, honestly, uh, Anglo-Saxon white Americans were the minority. Yeah. Everyone was some kind of Hispanic, including myself, you know? Yeah. And and I was used to teaching, yeah, at New World, I had... one Anglo-Saxon white American student yeah. and the rest were all Caribbean people. So cool. I, you know, I, I, I was speaking Spanglish all day, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved to Winchester, Virginia yeah. in the Shenandoah Valley, which is gorgeous with mountains. Absolutely. But, you know, even though it's only like 800 feet above sea level, that's a lot different from Miami, which is like, 10 feet below sea level. Yeah. So there was an adjustment there. There's no beach, another adjustment, but I had mountains now, which are gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very beautiful. It's very white. Yeah. That's, it's different. So that was, that was, that was an adjustment now, at, especially at first, cause, um, I was just so used to being with a mix of cultures and it was more homogeneous culture. Mm-hmm. And um, so that took an adjustment. It was nice because I was living in a small apartment in Miami. And then I brought my mother with me and she bought a three bedroom house. 
which was nicer, a much nicer house than she ever had in Miami. Yeah. Um, Cause, and paid the same, basically the same price that she sold the house for. She got twice the size house in Miami in, wow. in Winchester. That's so the cost great. of living was better. That's and so nice. And it was really nice to be able to have her with me because she was elderly and she had some health issues. Yeah. And yeah. so I was able to take care of her, but she also took care of me because, mm. because since she came with me, I was able to bring my dog. I was able to have my own piano, uh, the house that we got. I have a studio, uh, you know, a, a private entrance to a, my studio space and everything. So nice. So, I mean made a nice life that's so great like, so it's that has been really good and we're getting more people of color more multicultural um setting which is really nice that's good to hear yeah um and and so and the other thing that's been really awesome is that it's an hour and a half drive to dc mm-hmm. it's a three and a half hour drive to pittsburgh it's a four-hour drive because of traffic, not because of the distance, but yep. but tra- to go to Philly. It's five hours to drive. I can be in New York City in five hours. Yep, yeah, it's not too crazy far. It's like I can go. I, I went to a conference in Greensboro, North Carolina. It took me six hours. It's like Greensboro. I love Greensboro. It's so pretty. It's great. It's beautiful. And they have fantastic university there yep. and, and they host conferences. And so it's so central to everything that's going on, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that's and, very um, true. That's very true about Winchester. You know, and it's like when I was in Miami, if I wanted to go to a conference, I had to fly. Yeah. And like now I can drive and that saves a lot of money. Plus you see a lot more of the country yeah. and then you can take all your stuff that you want to take. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so nice. Good. Yes. You know, and you can stay, you can stay a little bit further, you know, a further hotel because you got a car cause now you can drive, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so it was, it was an adjustment culturally, but it also was the right choice for me too it was like wonderful and it's pe- much more peaceful because traffic in big cities is crazy yeah um, yeah I still can't get over the fact that it doesn't matter where you're going it takes at least 15 minutes in Winchester I'm like it's one mile yeah. why is that 15 minutes isn't that weird yep it's weird I agree with that also, it's random so fact about Winchester, Patsy Klein is from there. I know. I went to her house. See, that I regret not doing that. I don't know why I didn't. And it's like $6 or something to do the house tour, and it's really nicely done. That's so you cool. Know? Tell, tell the listeners what it's like. So um, it's the house that, that she grew up in, and the bottom part of the house has like memorabilia about her career. They talk about, you know, how she got into the music business. And, um, and then they also, then they give you a tour, like to the upstairs, you can see where she used to sleep. And (laughs) I don't know, it's just really sweet. And, um, and it's funny because my, my partner is a big history buff. So there's pretty much not a historical house that we haven't toured That's cool. <laughs> wherever we go. <laughs> you know, I drag him to the music activity and then he drags me to the historical activity. Sounds like a good life. <laughs> yeah. It's really nice. Yeah. 
We should write like a travel blog. You actually should. That would be, I would read all of that because I love history too. I would read that. It's really interesting, you know, because um, it talks about, they they gave her the history of how she started really, really young. Yeah, that's right. She did. It was like. 15 or something. She was super young and she won this singing competition. Mm-hmm. And from that, she met this producers and, you know, it was really interesting. And, and, uh, she's like first lady of Winchester now. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? And I always loved her voice. You know, it's very funny. I really thought that because it was in the Shenandoah Valley, everywhere I walked, I was going to hear bluegrass. <laughs> and I was and sacred harp singing. And I was like, I'm so excited. Yeah, that that's would be great. Not the case. <laughs> that's not quite the case. Uh-uh. <laughs> you, you get it more where you used to live in East Tennessee, you know, area. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. But I have found some bluegrass, which is making me happy because that's actually my favorite, favorite style of music. That's mine, too. Uh, that's my favorite. Okay, so wait a minute. So do you listen to Gilliam Welch? Yes. Isn't she like so gorgeous? She's amazing. So gorgeous. It's the most natural, beautiful voice. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's why I love bluegrass is because it's like they, they talk, they sing and you just feel their soul through their sound. It's not overproduced. It's, it's just real yeah. and authentic and, and they're having fun <laughs> Yes. Just, yes, they're having fun and they're I just like telling it. the way it is, the way of yes. life. The way of life. And it's like, it, in its simplicity, it's deeply profound, you know? Yes. It's so, I just, I love it. And everyone laughs. They're like, I thought you were an opera singer. I'm like, eh, that's what I did. But what I love is bluegrass. <laughs> it's weird that I'm slowly shifting to be saying that about musical theater. I used to love musical theater so much. And now after my master's at Shenandoah, I Uh have just found this greater appreciation for all the contemporary music away from the musical theater. It's, it's interesting. So when somebody comes in, I'm like, Oh, you actually want to work on, Oh, Rogers and Hammerstein. Okay. I guess we'll do this. Let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) So it's funny. funny. I mean, it's beautiful music, you know, all these different genres. They're, of they're wonderful. Yeah. But um, but, yeah. but something that is so pure and not commercial, I don't know. I really resonate with that, you know? Absolutely like just, the same. Yep. Yeah. And so I keep hoping for more bluegrass in my life. <laughs> Listen, you should go down to Bristol, Tennessee. You would love it absolutely die it's got some of the best music around so put it on your list (laughs) i'm putting it on my list i was gonna say i've driven through there on the way to knoxville so okay yeah yeah there's also if you ever want to check out more beautiful mountains there's this um grayson graceland is that what it's called y'all listen to me flub this all up it's grayson highlands national park oh boy Graceland Highland, Highlands Park. Ooh. I'll have to send you the thing. It's like the <gasps> most beautiful place and they have wild ponies. What? You can just, yeah. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's just like a really easy hike to go and see the wild ponies and they're just walking around. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so pretty. And if you drive like 45 minutes away from there, you're at like the best barbecue place ever. It's, it's okay, kind yes. of amazing. 
Yes, I need all that information. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so check okay. to all my boxes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so talk to me about getting the doctorate. Mm-hmm. What was the easiest part? What was the hardest part? And how did you end up? I, I mean, I I know why, but your dissertation. How did that all come to be? What have you oh. discovered? All that good stuff. Okay, so um, the the easiest part stemmed from my first year. I did not have an assistantship, so mm-hmm. for the first time in my life, I had no job, and I just went to school. Scary. <laughs> It was scary and awesome at the same time, you know, and like, I I was really blessed because since my mother came with me, my housing was taken care of. So I took out the student loans to pay for the, um, the courses, which were not that expensive. I mean, I came from Miami. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) This was cheap. And I was like, oh, it was like nothing. And, um, so the easiest part was just being a student again and getting stimulated in that intellectually mm-hmm. uh, and meeting these fabulous, fabulous, like every single one of my teachers was great. It didn't matter what course I took, whether it was theory with Dr. Mitz, whether it was music history with Dr. Ruth, it didn't matter. It was all fabulous, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Even the minimalism class that I took that I thought I was going to die because I was like, oh my God, the same chord over and over again for two hours. How did they do that? It actually was fascinating. It Wait, was explain really well this, because I did not take that. What is this class? So every once in a while, they offer like funky, like course, and it counted for theory, which was fabulous. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Theory is my Achilles heel. It is <laughs> the hardest well, thing. It, it is hard, especially advanced theory. Like, Oof. you know, but the minimalism class was based on um, all the different minimalist um, composers. And all I could think of was Philip Glass, who's fine. It's interesting. But it's basically a variation of one chord for two hours, and you just want to kill yourself. Wow. (laughs) It can be be meditative. Some people love it, and I shouldn't disparage it. It's actually – and that kind of thinking of repetition, I think that's – you know, infuse itself into some contemporary um, styles and singer-songwriters use it. So I think there's validity in that. But it's not just that. Um, I got really into this composer called Arvo Pert. Okay. Who is one of the spiritual minimalists. So he was this really cool guy. that He had he'd been doing um, 12-tone serial music and he kind of became a monk for a couple of years and huh. didn't talk. And all he did was just write like one note per day. And like, this oh. is the note for today, see. And then he just was like really distilling music down to its essence. Wow. And then what came out of it afterwards was this incredibly hauntingly beautiful classical but it's classical but yet has a little bit of that authentic natural sound he plays a lot with natural voice timbres not overproduced operatic sound but um just like ah and then you know and then there's just like gorgeous voices just making sounds you know really beautiful that's interesting wait what's his name again arvo pert and i think okay um, i can't remember where he's from 
I want to say Lithuania. Yeah, it's beautiful. Very, and, and uh, he was in D.C. for the first time. He went to the U.S. for the first time in like decades. And I missed it because I was at the Voice Foundation. Hey, you got pick and choose. That's tricky. I was like, no. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, okay, so you know, okay. So that was the easiest part is just enjoying the coursework. The hardest part has been writing the documents. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love the research. Um, and so when you do a doctorate, you have to take a research and bibliography course. And, um, so what it is, you, you know, you have to learn how to write abstracts, learn how to write, um, uh, bibliographies and, you know, work on a literature review, which is basically you pick a subject and then you, you look up all all the different articles and you, and, and books, and you, you try to distill it down and, and it's a particular way of writing, which was new to me. And so, yeah, yeah I took that was, class too. I don't know how many versions of it there are, but I took yeah. a version of that and oh, deep breaths. That's yeah. all. That's all it, was a, it was a lot of work, but the teacher was fabulous. And what was nice is how she did the course is that you got a certain number of points for each thing that you did. And it added up to this, like, you know, couple thousand points yeah so if you didn't do so well on one you know thing or whatever it kind of balanced itself out yeah you still could get a decent grade and yep. you didn't fill yeah and so from that I was like looking for things to research I wasn't sure you know I thought well maybe performance things I think, oh well maybe this I don't know and then I saw through the CCM Institute Brian Gill, who was then at NYU, and now he's at IU, (laughs) he invited everyone that had been at the CCM Institute via, you know, Facebook to go to the Fall Voice Conference. Yeah. And then I looked it up and I was like, ooh, as a student, it's only $100. Ooh, it's in New York. I want to go to New York. Ooh, it's the same weekend as my mom's 75th birthday. We'll make a weekend out of it. Oh, let's just. So we did. We like by day, her, her sister and my brother like did, you know, touristy New York things <laughs> while I was in the conference. By night, we went to a show. I mean, it was fabulous. We had a great weekend. That's great. And uh, <laughs> this conference is serious. The first talk was about horse larynxes. Oh, boy. Oh my gosh. I thought I was like, what am I doing here? (laughs) (laughs) What does a horse larynx have to do with singing? (laughs) And I, and it's all the scientists and I'm like, I understand 1% (laughs) of what you're saying. You know what? It's funny. I say that to a lot of people. It's like, I got my master's. I went to the CCM Institute twice I know nothing. <laughs> you, you just keep rereading things. I I recorded all my classes. Yeah. So like I'll go back and listen to them. And now certain things are like hitting and resonating. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There's that. I get that. It's just, you know, we just have to be patient yeah. with ourselves. Well, you know, and I tell this story all the time. There's this fabulous um, researcher called Aaron Johnson. Yeah. And... And uh, so he's at NYU. Anyway, yeah. 
this is pre NYU for him. But so this guy sitting next to me and, you know, the, the, I'm listening to the horse larynx talk and looking at the pictures that were very, uh, you know, exciting and not a good way. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and I look at him and I'm like, I don't understand anything. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I like, this is all over my head. You know, I never took anatomy. <laughs> I took biology what, like a hundred years ago, you know, like what, why, why? And he looked at me and he's like, you know, I majored in voice for my undergrad. And when I first started coming to these things, I didn't, you know, I didn't understand anything. It gets easier, you know, by the, by the third day, you're going to feel better. I'm like, okay. And then, you know, and then they announce, and our next speaker will be distinguished, blah, 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 Aaron Johnson. And the guy sitting next to me stands up and goes and talks. Oh my God. That's cool. And then he starts talking about mice larynxes. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yup. I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? But <laughs> you remember but did, actually, did David bring in um, a bear larynx. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> bear larynx, a deer larynx. Yes. I forget what else, but I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yes. I'm like, what is this? But it was fascinating. And, you know, I understand now. And so, yeah, um, yeah. but then it's a course, you know, they had all these different ENTs talk about different things. And then Jamie Kaufman, mm. who's also in New York, started talking about acid reflux. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have acid reflux. And then uh, she proceeds to talk about drinking high pH water as a possible adjunct treatment for laryngopharyngeal reflux. Mm. And I was like, what? <laughs> Aha. This is amazing. And talking about the acidification of the American diet. You know, yep. in the 70s, you know, salmonella and botulism was a huge problem with canned goods. So they started putting ascorbic acid and other preservatives in all our food. Yeah, yeah. So now we don't get horrible bacterial infections. We don't die of that. But yet, everything in our diet is acidified. Yeah. And, and the stomach is supposed to do that. Yeah, the correct? stomach yeah. should do that. You know, it's because um, the the pace of our society, we need to preserve food for a longer time because back in the old yeah. days, you, you kill the animal, you eat the animal. <laughs> That's yeah. it. You know, yep. um, you pick the, you know, you pick up the vegetables, you clean them, you eat them. You don't store yep. them forever and ever. And, but we do things differently, and so there's a cost for everything. With every advance that we make, you have to think about the ramifications. And so that's one of the ramifications is that um, food that used to be basic, you know, like uh, neutral pH is 7. Mm -hmm. uh, most foods are below 7. That's okay. Um, but now they're significantly below 7. And so, and what's the lowest that, that it goes for um, someone with really bad GERD or well, acid reflux? Well, a lot of people, you know, coffee is like three pH. Okay. Um, most sodas are about two point five, 
Uh-huh. What's shocking is that like distilled water or purified water is 6.5. Wow. So it's okay. Acidic. And so the problem with reflux, and this is what she explained, is that there's this enzyme called pepsin that lives in the mm-hmm. stomach and its job is to um, digest proteins. <clears throat> yeah. And that's wonderful. And it's supposed to live in the stomach. But what happens is like you can get backflow of food contents. And along with that, you might have some pepsin that starts creeping up into your esophagus. Again, esophagus has some possibilities to neutralize um, the pepsin. So not horrible, but not great either, you know. Then the reflux can continue to climb up. And you have where there's an upper esophageal sphincter is that little area in between the vo- the windpipe and the esophagus. They're right next door to each other. So it's really easy for acid and pepsin to spill over into your vocal folds because yep. your vocal folds, nor- like original evolutionary job is to be a valve and protect the airway. Yep. You know, so... That coupled with the epiglottis, you know, it all, all covers that so that you don't choke <laughs> and yeah. stuff doesn't get into your lungs. And so what happens is that sphincter, for one reason or another, um, loses elasticity or gets irritated. And so pepsin has now been found in the saliva. And so all the way up there. So she's talking about all this stuff and I'm like, this makes so much sense. And Pepsin digests proteins. Well, what protein can it digest on the vocal folds? Humucosal lining. Bad. Yeah, not good. Not, not good. Not Very bad. Good. Very bad. Bad. Don't don't digest my vocal folds, please. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so she's telling this, and then she said, you know, she was the beginning of her research. It's 2012, and she's like, they have found in vitro, meaning not with humans, but in like a petri dish, yeah. uh, pepsin is neutralized, so therefore no longer active, um, around 8 pH. Okay. So if you drink high pH water above 8, you can neutralize the pepsin. That's great. And so, but if think about it, okay, Aquafina, nothing against these companies. Aquafina, the one, the, the, they're, they're all made. Spring Valley or something. Yeah. Yeah, the name's not Spring Valley. But it sounds right, correct? Spring Valley, Valley High. Yeah. Yeah. Most of those waters, um, they go through, like, they're either Coca-Cola products or Pepsi products. So it's the same water that goes into Pepsi and Coca-Cola. So that because of the nature of, like, you know, yeah, Food and Drug Administration makes sure that we're not drinking contaminated water. But So they have to, <laughs> it's yeah. acidified. Yep. So all that water is like slightly acidic, not as bad as coffee, you know, but, but slightly acidic. And also, yeah. I used to drink vitamin water because I'm thinking, ooh, vitamins and water. Sounds oh, no. good, right? <laughs> sounds wonderful, sounds healthy. Why am I refluxing? Oh, that would be because it's like three pH. Oh gosh. And then everybody loves the sparkling water right now. Oh yeah. 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 Not good either. Right. No, it's most of them are about 
Oh, 4.5, maybe yeah. 5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. as bad as coffee, but, you know, hey. <laughs> so, um, so she talked about uh, the low-acid diet and then introducing high pH water. And then I was like, that's it. That's my topic. Treatment strategies for laryngopharyngeal reflux. And I want to do a high pH water study. That's amazing. And so, because I'm crazy, that's what I did. And I, I, um, so I did my literature review on that. I got more and more obsessed with reflux and, you know, like, let's see, does acupuncture work? Does chiropractic work? What are alternative, other alternative therapies? And there's very little studies on that. So yeah, I was um, reading up a little bit on the chiro- the chiropractic yeah. ver- version of that kind of treatment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's that like? Is that, is that good? Is it, is it helping? Um, the studies have shown that it is helpful. If you like the theory behind chiropractic is that, you know, uh, everything is governed by the nervous system mm-hmm. and the nervous system main portal for that is the spine and the spine is protected by, uh, by the vertebrae. And so if you get a subluxation or, um, your vertebrae is, is not exactly in the right place. It's like slightly tilted or whatever. They realign you with the idea that then the signal from the brain to the, um, to the spinal cord to then out all the other nerves will then be consistent. So it's the theory that if you have these subluxations in certain parts of your body, if they adjust it and put it back in place, then the signal should be clear and then it will stimulate the natural barriers, like it will stimulate your um, esophageal sphincter to then behave appropriately, or it will stimulate your diaphragm to act as that natural barrier to keep food where it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> and well, acid where it's supposed to be. And yeah. Apparently, like, GERD can get so bad that you can get a hiatal hernia. Yes. So you, that's terrifying. So that means your really stomach bad. is going into your diaphragm. <laughs> yes. So that's bad. And then... Then, especially for singers, forget it. You're always using your abdominal muscles. So now if you have a hiatal hernia, then you're always putting pressure on your stomach. So you will reflux constantly. And actually, um, esophageal cancer related to reflux is now the fastest growing um, incidence of cancer in the United States, 600% more than in 1970. That's terrifying. And it's deadly. Yep. Because you need your esophagus. Yeah, you, you can't, can't go without it. Yeah, can't go. It's one of those. It's, it's bad, and um, yeah, and then yeah. So it, it it's it's serious. People die from this, and a significant number of people die from this every year. And so it's not just that we're vain singers and we want to have beautiful voices. It's like it's your life too. Yeah, you so. want to live to you know live your life and do the things exactly. You yeah. Yeah. Um, so what have you found from your studies? Have you figured out what you would say to your student? Let's say you have an introductory student that comes in and they're like, Hey, I have acid reflux. It's really bad. Mm-hmm. And they're having trouble phonating at certain places. What would be some of the things you would do? So first we would talk about, you know, diet and lifestyle. And then we'd go through the list of all the things that you shouldn't really eat and, and certainly not in excess. Yeah. You know? We'll talk about that um, a little bit too, just about fried foods, wine, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And the thing is, um, what I have found is that it's frequent small meals 
helps keep the pH levels and your sugar and energy levels consistent. Mm. And that is the only one that that everybody seems to agree. Like some people say, ah, it doesn't matter what you eat because you're still going to get reflux or, you know. But if you eat small meals, it's like the volume, yeah. you know. And I noticed this because in Miami, they have this fabulous coffee drink called Cortadito. It's a little shot of espresso coffee, so very acidic, with evaporated milk and, like, of oh. course, what, too much sugar. It's like crack. It's amazing. Oh, no. <laughs> it's so amazing. I could have that and not get reflux. I could have a cappuccino, which is a larger version of that, less sugary, but larger version, and reflux like crazy. Yep. So I realized it was the volume of coffee, not the fact that I had coffee. So Got it. And I just watched yeah. a video of Wendy LeBourne talking about how the new research is. It's not that you're drinking coffee. It's the amounts, just like yeah. you said. And then certain types like yeah. light roast, more caffeine. Yeah. Now, what I do is because I got excited about the high pH water, I tell everyone about the high pH water. It's not going to hurt you unless... Unless you do pH 10, which is very high, and if you eat meat and a significant amount of meat, you need to have some acid in your body to digest. So you got to watch the levels. So for some people, and usually 10 is is not found in nature. So that's going to be something that has added bicarbonate or or some other chemical um, process. So you just, you watch that. However, I do use 10 to make my coffee. Okay. And so it's not going to bring it up to like six. Maybe it brings it up to five and a half, six, because I have like these little pH strips and I can test it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? That's so great. You could put, you can put a pinch of bicarbonate of soda in things too, but a pinch, because if you put too much, you're going to taste it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice. you don't want to do that, yeah. But you can then neutralize it a little bit. There's also drops. So I think, you know, incorporating, um, so I tell them that. I also tell them, you know, it's great that you drink water. Um, check what kind of water you're drinking. You know, not these distilled ones. They're so acidic, you know. Yeah. At least go um, artesian, you know, natural. Okay. And, um because they're going to be between 7.8 and 8.4. It's kind of nice. Okay. Um, and also how you drink water. If uh. you drink if you drink eight ounces of water really quickly because you're very thirsty, you guarantee reflux. Yeah. Because okay. it's too fast. Yeah. Because it takes eight seconds on average for whatever um, you drink or eat to travel from the upper, the upper esophageal sphincter to the lower esophageal sphincter, eight seconds. So if you're swallowing multiple times really quickly, you're not giving yourself, your body enough time to to move everything. Yeah, yeah. So so it's like that old adage, you're too young, but they used to tell us you should chew your food 20 times before (laughs) swallowing. No one ever said 20, but they kept telling me to chew more. Chew more. Yeah, it was like, it was a thing. It was like 20 times. And you're like, 20 times? Oh, my God. That's like a lot. But then I timed it. I timed it. It's close to eight seconds. I'm like, hmm. Huh. That's interesting. 
you know, a lot of these old wives' tales, they're they they intuitively knew something, and now yeah. we <laughs> and then we eventually learn the science behind them. You know, right, 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 right. Very interesting. It is interesting. So things to stay away from if you oh. have acid reflux. There are so many things. The ones so I know for many. sure of are the gluten, like the rice and the bread yeah. and wine, beer, chocolate. Uh, what, uh, what else? Lemon. Citrus stuff. Citrus yep. stuff. Tell, tell us more. Um, okay. So there are no scientific studies, but some people this works. It's like... You, you mix a little apple cider vinegar with local honey. Yeah, I've heard that. Yep. But, you know, as as a wannabe scientist, I probably shouldn't even promote that. But yet, sometimes it works. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, even if it's a placebo and it works, yeah. it's like, well, <laughs> So the interesting thing is, it depends what is causing your reflux. Is it acid-based? Is it that you have the... Uh, y pylori bacteria in your stomach. Mm. So if you have that kind of, if you have that bacteria in your stomach, something like apple cider vinegar or another antibacterial food or substance is going to help you. Got it. If your problem is that you have bad motility in your esophageal sphincters, you know, like for example, I don't know, with age, yeah. You know, or you have a hiatal hernia. It doesn't matter what you drink, you eat or drink acidic, you know. You need something to, like, make it easier for those things to move. Yeah. You know, so you might need medication. You might need to take um, a proton pump inhibitor or an H2 blocker, and which is a histamine 2 blocker, which it's interesting. You might need something like that. Yeah. For at least the course of two weeks or maybe three months to just kind of like reset your body. And you should incorporate, um, I really think the high pH water is, is, is wonderful. I did this study. I had 36 people complete. And after two weeks, all but one had marketed less symptoms, both wow. in the reflux symptom index and in their specific singer-related questions like voice breaks, lower voice in the morning, um, lack of high range, or lack of ability to sing softly. Wow. Um, okay. Like, I got it. I still haven't published that study yet, but and I'm probably going to need to repeat it with a control group. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's something there, and uh, I'm trying to think. Onions can trigger reflux. Garlic can trigger reflux. I think that's mine. I think onions yeah. are what my, what does it for me. Anytime yeah. I have them, I'm a mess. Yeah. yeah. So you got to listen to your body and it's almost like you have to do an elimination diet. Yeah. And uh, sometimes the problem is, is that the symptoms of reflux and the symptoms of allergies are almost the same. Right. And sometimes the singer is like, I guess it's just allergies. And then yeah. they just completely are like, it'll pass. Yeah. And so if it's allergies, you take, you know, you can take an antihistamine, but that then it dries you out too much. Yeah. But I mean, but, you, but like what I was saying is like, if you do an elimination diet, which is basically you fast. Yeah. Then you introduce one food at a time. Yep. And it's then you fun, just, guys. No. Fun. <laughs> but if you're really struggling, it's probably a, a thing to do. Like if yeah. you're like, I just can't figure out what's triggering because 
you know. So you like start with just white rice. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, we're okay. And then you add, you know, I don't know, grilled chicken, chicken or something. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, okay, we're still okay. <laughs> yeah. And you slowly, you see what's, you know, and then, I mean, diet is so difficult because like, did this cause the reflux or an allergic reaction or there's like this whole field of food combining. Is it because I ate this with this that I had the problem? Yeah. You know, I cannot have tomato, especially tomato sauce or tomatoes grown in the United States because we pick them before they're ripe. Wow. I cannot. I've never been able to eat it. That's sad. I'm sorry. I know. (laughs) When I was in Europe and I had fresh tomato from like picked ripe like from the farm right there everything was fine yeah interesting but, that's but crazy I, you know there's also we have more acid uh, the, the soil is here is more acidic than in other countries that's what i read that's what i read which is yeah. weird i mean it's, it's not weird i get it but it's just we put a lot of pesticides we do a lot of stuff you know yeah. We, we like to experiment with nature over here. Which is sad and also Good. necessary. It's yeah. just like, ah. We're feeding yeah. a lot of people, you know, and yeah. farmers are trying to not lose their entire crop, you know? Yeah. Because if they lose their crop, then they they might not be able to eat themselves. So yeah. I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing. And yeah. I have a question about three things. Okay. Um, Nexium, things like uh-huh. Nexium. Mm-hmm over-the-counter stuff, and mm. papaya and ginger. Oh, so very interesting. Um, Nexium, yeah, I mean, that's a great choice for, like, two weeks, you know, yeah, and they kind of zap okay. it out. That's and what then, I heard is that long-term, that's terrible for you. Yes, um, it will lead, because, like, when they say long-term, there are people that are on it for, like, decades. Yeah. I recently, I, I don't know if you saw it, but I, like, posted a survey, and... I did it. <laughs> I had one of my students do it who's yeah. really struggling with his acid and yeah. his high hernia as well. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. He yeah. may need surgery. And here's the deal. He has this amazing voice. We're talking amazing voice. It's just... <gasps> well, you know, you know, that's my latest work is, you know, using the vocal function exercises with... Um, with people who suffer from reflux. So, you might want to... Ah and see it's like okay well you have reflux so let's just see if we can manage your voice symptoms by getting you to easier phonation yeah yep so do you do stuff like the straw sovt all that stuff yeah i do that too i prefer the stemple exercises because you can't cheat either you do more correctly or you don't i can Uh cheat with the straw Um, right i've seen it (laughs) i am amazing with tension even with the straw (laughs) It's, you know. it's incredible. People, they will cheat. And I'm always like, how are you doing? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but if you think about it, if, if they, um, if your vocal folds are inflamed and so for years you've had to kind of like adjust and sing with more pressure just to get sound out, it's so ingrained in you. It's really hard to change, you know? Yeah. Um, but for your student, maybe you can try try the high pH water and it takes a good two, three weeks. Okay. You know, um, I always buy the, the brand that's on sale. Okay. <laughs> and there's always okay. one of them that's on sale. 
All right. That's good. I'll tell them. You know, yeah. and we found that it was, if you just added one to two liters, depending on, you know, how much you want to drink, you know, not it's not like that's the only thing that you drink. It's just like adding, you know, that to help neutralize yeah. things. Um, and, you know, maybe do a food journal and kind of say, what's triggering my reflux? You know, yeah. the hiatal hernia is going to be hard because everything's going to trigger it. Yeah, yeah, that's what and he's like. It's totally normal. I'm like, I know a lot of guys get them, but if you're a singer, yeah. you know, we're we're talking about this low breath, and yeah, it's just now. Yeah, yeah there was a study. I wish I knew where it was. That was a German study that talked about a different way of low breath that where you actually utilized the diaphragm to be that barrier that kind of like mm. support and like the, the, oh, high, the, the high, yeah. And, and it was interesting. I don't know if do they went into detail. Oh, no. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> Which is I've upsetting. German study, low breath support, hiatal hernia. <laughs> yeah. And see if like, maybe there's something, it might've been Matthias. What's Matthias's last name? Uh, uh, Matthias something. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, oh, he's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay, great. I got that down. I'll take a look. Um, but, you know, just, like, see what to do. It's hard. Yeah. It's a really – it's an epidemic, you know. It um, is. It's scary. It's scary. Yeah. Edry did a – you know, her survey of like vocal health amongst professional singers and 63% of them said that they had reflux. 63. That's, that's kind of nuts. Yeah. Now the thing is, it's also overdiagnosed, but if you have a hiatal hernia, then then it's not overdiagnosed. You have have real (laughs) physical evidence of reflux. (laughs) Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. But yeah, I know that there's been times where ENTs, cause they're not specialists of yeah. the, the larynx, you know? Yeah. So it's like, sometimes it'll be, it's probably acid reflux. Yeah. Here's, here's your thing. Here's your script to go and get the medication. Yeah. You know, but if you take it for 20 years, you're, you know, you'll have a vitamin D, D deficiency, sometimes vitamin B deficiency, osteoporosis, you know, huge ramifications. So we don't need that in our lives. No, of course <laughs> I, I did have one doctor say to me when I was having a lot, he's like, why don't you do a dose of it? Cause she's like, think about it. You know, osteoporosis, you know, you're not, you're not that old. So that wouldn't happen for another 30 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you should take this just to assuage the reflux for right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't take it for 20 years, but take it for like, you know, two weeks. <laughs> It'll be okay. Yeah. I was like, okay, for two weeks, it's okay. I asked my students and their main questions were, what do we eat? What do we not eat before performances? And, you know, I feel like it's just case by case, but. um, It is case by case. You got to kind of like check yourself what, what triggers it. Um, I think unless you have blood sugar issues, you probably shouldn't eat like at least two hours before singing. Got it. But if, but if you are, you suffer with, you know, blood sugar levels for one reason or another, then you got to do what you got to do. And it's the same with sleeping. I have a wedge pillow and it's been very helpful. It keeps me elevated and I got used to 
sleeping that way. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And I, if I eat at 10 o'clock at night, then I'm like, well, I guess I'm not going to bed until one. You yeah. got to wait. You just got to wait. And then. Especially as a singer. I mean, and for just general health guys, you know, but especially as a singer. Now, a lot of people also have, they have sleep apnea. Yep. And they There's go together. machines yeah. at night. Yep. Yeah, and so the CPAP will actually help the reflux if that's part of it. So, um, you know, it's not fun, but if you need one of those. (laughs) More important that you live to do the things you need to do and want to do than, uh, you know, be too proud. Exactly. Is the ginger thing true? Is the papaya thing? Is Is that a thing? Heard that, but I can't really think how it would be true. Because or pineapple, I feel like a re- I feel like I read these somewhere in passing. Yeah, I think one time when I was looking it up, and I'm just so, like I'm writing it down, see if that's the thing. So ginger has again antiseptic properties. Okay. So if your problem again is the bacteria in your stomach, maybe that's going to be helpful. You know. Um, and a doctor would tell you that, right? Not doctor, just you knowing it. Yeah. 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 And you have to know if you have H, I think it's H. Y. pylori, you know, bacteria. It's a certain type of bacteria yeah. that, that gets that? an overgrowth in the stomach. They have to do some kind of um, like study to see. Okay. You know, do they do is it, endoscopy? Is it endoscopy or? Okay. It's an endoscopy. Oh, and, okay. And they'll let you know. But but if you're having severe reflux, you, you might need to get one because you need to make sure that you don't have Barrett's esophagus or precancer right. cells. You know, it's, yeah, it, it, it's a good thing to have, especially if you're an older person, you yes, know? Yes, yes. And when I say older, I mean like 40, which, you know, now that I'm yeah. approaching 50, 40 does not sound old to me anymore. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you know, these things happen. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The papaya, I heard that enzyme thing. I had also heard licorice root. I did too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, Gaviscon, which is an alkaline-based thing that you can get from Canada too. They say that one's better than the American one. Okay. That has helped a lot of people. Everything that you just said is really helpful. It's going to help a lot of my students <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, you're welcome. Um, But most importantly, I just want to say thanks for anybody that you're helping right now. And you just definitely helped me um, just keep doing what you're doing. And you're a wonderful person. Thank you. You You are too. I'm just so, your podcast is so beautiful. Well, thank you. I I love it so much just being able to talk with people like Mm -hmm. you. It's just it's a nice excuse to not only just keep learning, but just, you know, reignite friendships mm-hmm. with people and talk exactly. about the thing that keeps us, you know, getting up in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so thanks for this. Seriously. Yeah, you're welcome. This is so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Happy Singer podcast. If you found this to be enjoyable in any way, go ahead and subscribe. And if you really like us, you can rate and you can review and it helps us to have more listeners. And if you really want to start up a conversation and have a good time with our group, we have a Facebook group called the Happy Singer Discussion Group, where we talk about the topics of the show and um, you can share your singing there. Um, 
yeah, it's still building. We're still getting people in that group, but I think it can be really great and it'll be a support system if you need it. And, um, to get into the group, you have to like the page first. It's just the happy singer podcast. Do you like that? And then you can join the group. Anyway, thank you so much. Um, if you need support, we're here for you and, uh, yeah, have a great day guys. Bye.